What people don't realize is that there is a hierarchy of needs and that hierarchy of needs on the very bottom of the needs. So the very top, the tip is the spiritual enlightenment. The very bottom is actually... Welcome to Finding Your Spark again. I am so glad to be here with you and with my guest today, Dr. Stefan Neff. He's passionate about demystifying mental health problems and helping the people around him live a life so full of joy that yesterday is jealous of today. Born in Germany, Stefan has studied medicine at the prestigious Heidelberg University before traveling the world and working around the globe. Nowadays, he has settled down as an anesthesiologist in the beautiful New Zealand and has become a best-selling author and advocate for mental health and addiction. Well, welcome, Stefan. <laughs> Thank you very much for the accolades. Um, it is an honor and a pleasure uh, for me to be on your show. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I uh, you know, I found you and I'm so excited that I did find you because I feel like um, your experience and your uh, uh, connection, your ability to connect in the way that I see in your uh, media, right? Your books and your, your social media and things like that really brings together so many things about joy and reaching for joy that we don't normally talk about. So I'm excited for that conversation. It is, you're so right. The, the, many of us are living our lives completely as automatons. We are mm. not living intentionally. We are living as a, as a genetic makeup that then piles on heaps and heaps of, of not so good influences, some from external, some that we choose with our nutrition and with the way we are living. And the end result is us reacting constantly to to what is our weird brain tells us and what what happens is around us. There is no you're not in the driver's seat. You're the bloody gold hamster in 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 your in or the rat in your little little hamster wheel there. Mm. That's all that we are, and it's only those people who really have gone through trauma, who have had the privilege of going through dark times that step out of the hamster wheel sometimes sometimes are forced out of the hamster wheel <laughs> um and uh stop take stock of what's actually going on and then dust themselves off <laughs> wipe away the blood from the face and then actually start now okay let's let's change our life and there is a huge huge power in that and this is really what this life is all about. Um, you can't you can't get away from trauma. Trauma happens, and it happens to us at a often very young age, in the age when we get formed, so zero to seven uh, years of age. Uh, it is often laid down intergenerational. We now nowadays know that that the impact of trauma on our ancestors, your mum, your grandmum, etc., uh, is actually laid down genetically and it determines how how you respond in your own life to certain triggers out there. Um, so there's growing evidence for that. So it's ultimately there's a lot of stuff already in us uh, affecting us, etc. 
And all of us, most of us, don't have a clue. And so therefore we are responding, we are responding to triggers. You know, your wife says something in a certain way and you fly off the handle. And she might have, whatever she said, it doesn't matter. It was the way she said it, which somehow reminded you of something either in your childhood or whatever it was. My God, that is a classic example where we are there and where we are victims to a lot of circumstances. When you go through hard times, and especially those of you out there, if you're the one in three people who suffer from chemical addictions, then I only say congratulations. Uh, welcome to the tribe. Um, you're just one step away from a breakthrough. So <laughs> it's okay. It doesn't matter if you still put a Chardonnay in your coffee cup in order to hide it. Um, that's, that's, that's okay. That's okay. You're one step away brother sister from from coming into a uh, a brotherhood uh, a a tribe of um of people who go through beautiful times of addressing the shit that happened to them in their life and then are able to wipe the slate clean and say okay who do i want to be when i grow up and it doesn't matter if you're 17 or 70 um it is beautiful and that's the power of addiction. That's the power of trauma, the post-traumatic growth that is was waiting. That is what is waiting for you. And I didn't know that when I was in the depth of my of my shit, of my darkness, with, with post-traumatic stress disorder, with with anxiety attacks, with depression. I was self-medicating big time um, because. It was hurting so much in my soul. So I drank like a fish down the line. And guess what? The pain didn't go away. I was maybe numbing it a little bit that night. But the next day, I had anxiety, a hangover <laughs> and anxiety. Great. And the problem still didn't go away. So, but that was the life I lived. And it's just, it's just, it is what it is. So joy was not existent then. Even now that I'm nine years sober, um, there are still times when I forget to focus on joy. So that is an interesting one, and that has only recently been 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 aware. Or I have been aware of that. But maybe let's come to that in a moment. I've given you so much info, and you were very quiet there. And I know you're bursting to sort of I come in there. I love it. <laughs> I just love it. I love that you are so eloquent with the way that you express how life feels because you absolutely did a perfect job of describing how life feels from my personal experience, right? I uh, and I love that you're talking about being sober. So I don't talk about that very often, but I used to be a drinker and I'm 27, almost 28 years sober. And so to be able to kind of bring that into a different forum in my life, which, you know, sort of is a little more public <laughs> uh, and say, hey, you know what? We've all been through something. We've all been and we've all handled it poorly. <laughs> right? <laughs> We did a really bad job <laughs> and that's how we get to the place where we learn to do it differently. And um, 
And I love that you talked about this, uh, that joy was non-existent because for me, I didn't even really have a expectation of joy. Like I wanted it. I really wanted life to be good. But, uh, and so I kept reaching for like what feels good in the moment, right? Which you can get to when you're not in your right mind pretty easily, but then you, you wake up, right? And you feel bad and you've made a mess in your life. Um, and how much you've connected that activity and poor decision-making and setup in your life with the momentum of family, friends, circumstances, history, uh, ancestral history, right? That's so important because sometimes we are, we're just swimming upstream, right? We just, this is how we were taught to do it. What do you mean there's a problem? <laughs> Right. Except for that your life is a mess all the time and you don't know why. And it is. And that's that's that was one of the things that I learned. That was one of the biggest breakthroughs and earliest breakthroughs in my sobriety journey was when I uh, when I was made aware that I'm actually a very, very, very big part of the problem, because uh, much of my drinking was due to external circumstances. Look what they did to me. Arr, I show them. I drink a bottle of vodka now. Ha <laughs> ha. That will show them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in all fairness, I had shitloads of trauma from external sources. Let's not be, be, be silly about that. Life is not full of roses. Uh, in my case, for sure not. Um, but the way I dealt with it, or not dealt with it, shall I say, um, I think that was... A key thing and I didn't see that it was always day 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 look what they did to me look what he did etc and when you come to a 12-step program where which helped me to get clean and sober um, it was basically in step four you make huge lists and one of those lists is a I've forgotten how we call them now I call it my pity list um, it's day look John, so you make three columns, John did that, and that's how it made me feel. Okay, and then Jenny did that, and that's how it made me feel. And so you keep writing, 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 writing. And a good case manager, a good mentor will then, a few days, a few weeks later, come back to that list and say, let's make a fourth column on there. What was your role in that scenario? And that is then when suddenly the penny drops. Um, <laughs> having said that, having said that, it is actually um, even before that, that, that was incredibly helpful then. But before that, I was very angry with a certain institution that I feel, and I still feel nowadays, uh, has bullied me and, and um, was not great. Um, so my case manager one night actually said, hey, look, I know this is such a focus of you. Can you write me down what, you know, everything that sort of occurred and, and what is your grievance there, etc.? And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. And we talk about it tomorrow. And I said, yeah, brilliant. So I went to my room, started writing into the night until my fingers bled. Pages and pages and pages, what they did. Next day, I went to the meeting. And I was like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And she said, okay, thank you, and looked through it folded it, put it aside, and said, okay, now let's talk about you. 
harvesting but 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 <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't understand it. I was getting angry with her. My it's them it's them that is the problem. <laughs> yeah. And then she said so first of all she actually then uh, she defused the situation although I was angry for a week. And I let rip. I was um, and it was weird. But she also on that day gave me a book to read. And it's no longer out there. You can't get it, uh, to the best of my knowledge. It was Rise Above. Um, and it was written by a woman whose estranged husband one day turns up in her driveway, um, kills all her children uh, in front of her and her father in front of her in a brutal way. And that's just the first 10 pages of the book. And I thought, uh, uh, so it was a bit like a pissing contest. She clearly had won. Her trauma was bigger than mine. And her book then, all the, the rest of the pages was uh, her rising above, her finding herself again, her finding joy in her life again. And I thought, oh boy. Uh, and that was the first breakthrough, really. When I realized, okay, my focus on everyone out there Hang on, hang on. Uh, first of all, I thought I was worst. Nah, as far worse than me. And how did the hell did she now end up living a healthy life when I am getting pissed every night to the maximum and still feel the pain? So that was the breakthrough. That was the first hint that actually there is another solution or solutions or ways or paths out there. And that was exactly where I think my healing started, when I allowed myself to actually take control in the sense of actually admit that I am part of the problem. Or maybe, just maybe, in some cases, that I am the problem, um, rather than, than focusing on others. And that was beautiful. That allowed me to move on. And that is when the healing really started. It's an interesting way that you're talking about putting yourself uh, in the driver's seat of your own life, you know, because I think that you're absolutely right that many, many people and maybe everyone at some point in their lives are we're going around and we're noticing what's happening to to us. But we're not noticing what's happening to us internally right then we're not noticing how it how what grows in that garden that we're tending whether we mean to or not and then what we're putting back out in the world that's a beautiful thing because in my case it was fizzles and those fizzles irritated other people they gave my fawns hurt other people and in turn i had shit coming back my way so a beautiful, beautiful picture you've painted there. Yeah, because early on in this interview, you talked about intentionality and that when we have intention, when we have not not uh, sort of unrealistic. Uh, <laughs> I know I know many a, a person who was in the same room that I've been in that has said, I'm going to be a billionaire, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> right. Tomorrow. So yeah, exactly. which is which is kind of an intention but not one that is connected to what you truly want in the world, right? 
So when you can really tap in to what do I truly want and how do I want to feel on the way there and what is it going to look like in the landscape of my life when I have created intentionally put out all of the seeds that I'd like to see bloom, right? All of the things that I want in my life, like there are ways to seed it and you know, with alcohol and arguments, it's probably not the the way you want to go on that. <laughs> so, so true, so true. But we need to go, we need to understand also that the alcohol at that moment in time is the better solution for that person because they have got their pain. They have got their, their, they're hopeless. They're, they feel helpless. And the alcohol at that moment is the lesser pain. It's the little way out and therefore it has it holds such a power over them because many of us out there have not yet taken the steps to get themselves back in the driver's seat so therefore they are they are we are basically like chimpanzees in front of a keyboard and we go oh that feels nice what's that alcohol good i like i like i like i like uh, okay <laughs> that's what we are that's essentially what it is. And if you look if you look back when you start drinking, there are some damn good reasons that you do. Because alcohol is not pleasant. There's not a single child that I know who says, Ooh, I like that Chardonnay. They say, why do you drink that? Um, and so there are reasons why we drink. Often we are shy. We don't fit in as teenagers. And suddenly, there you go. You have that drink. Beautiful. I remember the very first time I had that uh, that feeling. It was only when I was about 19 years old. I was in my first year at university, Saturday morning, Saturday lunchtime. I was sitting with two study colleagues in a beer garden in Germany in the summer. And it was a beautiful setting on a huge oak tree. Sun was shining. And we had big glasses of German glasses of beer, one liter. Um, proper beer, not the kind of sort of water with beer taste that you have in the States often. No, so proper beer. And I had probably one liter by now. Um, and suddenly I started laughing. A true belly laugh. The life was beautiful. My friends were there. We were laughing. All the worry came off me. And I was 19, so that was six years after I had been the victim of a, of a gang assault. And in those six years, uh, that was PTSD pure. That was uh, something that ran for all my life, where you know my, my bruises hadn't healed yet in, in my face when I was already starting martial arts, a martial arts journey. So for the next, so from 13 till, till 18, 19, I would be training two, four hours of martial arts and, and conditioning, etc. every day. Um, I would never ever be caught out. Um, so I became Rambo, literally Rambo, constantly. Ready, ready, <laughs> constant, every time. Um, and then suddenly there was this alcohol, which suddenly made me, ah. Oh. And I knew that at that time, several things happened. A, I found alcohol. B, um, I had moved away from the town where I was living. Uh, I had put the gang leader behind bars. He threatened to kill me as soon as he's being released. Um, and I found girls. Uh, so these three things all happened roughly about the same time. And it was 
the most amazing transformation into this new person that came out of the darkness. So that was, I guess, the first time that I went into the light. But it's a very turbo-fueled transformation yeah. <laughs> with a lot of a lot of Dutch courage <laughs> being yeah. thrown in. Yeah. But my, alcohol was my best friend. But alcohol was so beautiful at that time. And I used it and I, I it became my friend, uh, really, a, a very powerful friend. Um, it is... It could control my sexuality. Um, I was becoming more, uh, less shy, number one. Uh, number two, it had a, a positive effect on my sexuality. I could control my erection to my will. Um, so how long would you like to make love tonight, darling? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> two hours? <laughs> one hour? You call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I could. <laughs> and it was brilliant. You know, it's a power that that how can you... How, what can you say? It was gorgeous. But then, of course, you lose that power. And the alcohol takes over the control of you. And that is, that is where the, the situation changes. So we all drink for a reason. And we all lay down memories that are very beneficial. And unfortunately, we, are, we keep chasing that dragon. We keep chasing that, that, that first high, that first... Uh, you know, that, and it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. I still, I still remember those, those times very well because they were so imprinted in my, in, into my brain, into my memory. Um, and it puts a smile on my face. These were good times. Had I known what was to come later, oh boy. Well, I love that you bring up this idea of memory because, um, you know, memory we've learned is made when we start the recorder and we start the recorder when something as important is happening. And that's determined by how we feel about what's happening, right? So whether it's an extremely good thing or an extremely bad thing, our body is telling us, hey, you need to know this in order to keep yourself safe in the future, in order to find a new way to live as you as you described with your experience with first alcohol and things like that and so that all continues after sobriety right once you're in some sort of uh condition and also what i loved about what you were saying is that all of those feelings are feelings that i have heard from people who have never had an addiction right that we all go through those feelings and certainly there are ways that they can be amped up as they are for, for an alcoholic or someone with substance abuse. But we are all going through this same self-discovery of like, how do we do this life? How do we allow it to feel good? How do we find our way in a way where the world responds positively to us, right? And, and how do we find those moments of bliss and joy and what do we have to do to get there, right? So for me, the one of the most amazing parts that self self described amazing, right? I enjoy the most um, <laughs> is of my journey is that I have learned that I can have that when I choose it, right? Which is very different from oh, when I have a drink, when I have my life set up properly, when I'm not going through trauma, when life is not chaotic, right? If you have to satisfy circumstances to get to that feeling, then you are running around a lot, 
right? But if you learn this skill that we're that we're discussing right now of finding joy, of figuring out how to get there without the things, right? Because I love I love when people talk to me about runner's high, and I think yeah, it's great, it's great. But you got to go for a run, and I can sit here and do nothing <laughs> and get there, <laughs> right? So. You know, those are really important pieces of that puzzle to remember how powerful we really are internally. True. Very true. Um, now, a lot of people who are listening to us now will probably look at you and me and say, um, <laughs> because very simple. Uh, sorry for those of you who are only listening. Um, I just made a, a cuckoo um, kind of gesture. Um, the, I think the reality is the last three years have been bitches. Um, I don't know anyone who has had a good time over the last three years. We've got an economic downturn. We have got, uh, we had COVID, we had social isolation. We have got a world that is, has never been closer to a third world war. Um, so there are a lot of issues, political, racial tensions, you name it, I could go on for hours. Um, so there has been, this has not been a good time. Um, personally, I, because of my history of PTSD, it is very easy for me to turn into the survivor. For, and when I say that, let's go on those three, three key positions that you can take. You can be a victim. Um, that is what I, that the victim role, the pity party. That's what I played for a long time. You then, when you start taking action, you become a survivor. And that's cool. Uh, and then at some stage, you become a thriver when you actually make sense of that all thing and when you find the joy, when you find the why you want to live your life to the fullest. This is so these are the three stages. Um, most of the times I actually in the last three years, more often than not, I was more a survivor than a thriver. Uh, I, I reverted back due to the external pressures, due to financial hardships, to, you know, those kind of things that, that hit you out of the blue. And it was interesting. So it's only recently that I realized how much I had to brought out the survivor back out of the dungeon. Because the survivor in me is, is a hard-nosed guy. Um, he is quite happy to drink out of the skulls of his enemies. Uh, he's quite happy to, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, you know, it's Rambo basically who is coming out there. Um, and he has a place. He has a place. He's not a very nice guy. And there wasn't actually much joy in my life. And that was due to a failing re relationship, due to hard, hard to, to changes within systems in which I was working and etc. Oh, it was hard. I had not seen it because these were not big traumas right now. Big. Wow. That you can actually recognize it, but slowly sliding traumas. And that is sort of what is so common in the people I see around me. As I said, no one had a good time in the last two years. And so many people I see uh, where that actually has occurred. So, but to actually realize this kind of sliding back into that, um, it's a privilege that has occurred to me now over the last two, three weeks. Um, things have changed in my life dramatically. Um, and that caused me to reset. That caused me to pay attention to the lack of joy, to the lack of 
thriving, I guess. Um, I was back in the responsive, in the responsive, the, the Rambo who is under attack, rather than the, the I don't know, I need a new name for the, the thriver now, um, for the guy who is actually planning ahead, who is actually taking control again, and says, okay, fair enough, the world is shit, but, okay, how do we get joy? And that, that was a conscious decision that happened over the last two, three weeks. And I'm actually, therefore, this, this interview comes at such a powerful time um, where I find myself back at work singing, doing a little jiggle, doing a bit, a little dance to some good music in the middle of the, the theater room. And people sort of look at you and you think, you again, cuckoo gesture. Um, so, but it's cool. It's actually cool. I love that guy. I love that joy. I love the fact that I take back the power um, and put the, all the pressure that I experience. I mean, the pressures haven't gone away. Things haven't magically improved. No, but I've taken steps to mitigate each and every pressure. Um, and I have understood the meaning of the prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, I'm not religious, but this, this short prayer so spoke to me when I heard it the first time in rehab. And then again, right now, it is, we need to think, okay, there are certain things out there we cannot control. But you can control what you can do to yourself, to love yourself, to actually look after yourself, to eat the right things to not just eat high-processed shit that makes you feel even more anxious as soon as the sugar rush crashes and you're going, going hypoglycemic half an hour later. No, the moment you actually start doing exercise and treat it not like a chore, but actually like, now I look after myself and actually break out in a sweat. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. Excuses. No. You, like, in my job, I'm an anesthetist, so I draw up um, ampules of drugs uh, the whole day. I made a point yesterday. For every ampule I crack and throw up, I do a squat. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what my nurse thought behind me. I don't care. I just threw up, squat. Screw up, squat. <laughs> hey, there I am. There, so I got, I got my bit of exercise in there, and it was just fun. I put the fun back into my life. I put the joy back in my life. I took control. And I try to find, consciously, I try to find ways on a daily basis, on an hourly, on a minutely basis, to actually put that joy back in. Because I think with joy, I'm a much nicer guy. Well, I, I love that you've gone through uh, uh, really pointing up that awareness of... I can be an observer in my life and I can direct what I'm observing in that same moment. And so this, um, this idea of the warrior and, and the statesman, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? The, the, when we are in a, a survivor role, when there's a lot of uh, adrenaline going through the body, the body is running the programs, right? Mm -hmm. It's doing the thing and it is built to do this for us. It is brilliant that it does this for us. 
that we can run away from the bear or the fire, right? That we know our body just takes over and does the thing. And, and that function of in that moment being able to become the director, become the observer and say, okay, I, I, I choose to participate in that way because I do not want to get burned up in the fire. Uh, <laughs> however, when it's over, I then am going to bring my body, mind, and spirit back into one plane of existence together. And, uh, you know, it reminds me so much when you talk about that of, of going through in the last two years, the death of my husband. And uh, there was a time afterward, my doctor said to me, who is also a, a, my spiritual teacher, so we have a, a complicated uh -huh. and important relationship. Uh, he said to me, uh, are you sleeping? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> you should be sleeping. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So that get, being willing to say, okay, I am willing to allow myself to deprogram the body a little bit to have the help that I need to get to a place where I recognize that the body's in charge and where I, I decide to take the actions that don't feel good in the moment. It does not feel good to tell yourself to sleep, to find ways to sleep when everything in your body says, hey, this is not a time for sleeping. This is the time for being awake because there are emergencies in the world, right? And we've been through them. There's probably more to come, right? So that sort of deprogramming that we go through really can help us to get back to that place where there's inherent joy, where we're able to, to sort of bring body, mind, and spirit into one space and have the body not be running the show, right? Have the spirit actually be running the show. That'd such an such an incredible uh, transition and one that we should get good at, right? Because this is not a oh, at that time of my life, that's how I was, and now I'm now I'm spiritual all the time, <laughs> right? Because we're here, we're here in human bodies, right? And they're here for us. They're not just we're not just trapped in them, right? Absolutely. They're here for us. We get to enjoy them. We get to be a part of them, mm -hmm. and they get to give us feedback about the delusion that we have, you know, created for ourselves, right? So Donalyn, you, you, you mentioned that spiritual part that we are aspiring to. And I just wanna wanna touch upon that. Many of us we have got that that feeling of one day. And we we sort of try to find the the, the tip of the mountain 5,000 meters high where there's a yogi sitting in his whatever pose and he will give us that wisdom. Uh, so one day we're going to find him. And in my mind, that's a heap of bullshit um, because you're going to find that yogi in the most unlikely uh, disguises um, in your daily life. Um, what we don't realize is, but it's basically taking care of the, the lowest rank of your needs, and then the spiritual enlightenment has far more chance to come down. And you just then need to, to observe where actually that enlightenment comes from. Because it comes maybe in the, in the eyes of gratitude of a beggar who you give a dollar um, to. Or, or maybe 
a, a checkout girl um, who has a shit time and you just treat her with a smile and say, thank you so much for helping me today. And suddenly her, her eyes light up with, with joy. Her eyes light up because you made her day. I think if you, if you suddenly uh, create such environments, then the joy comes naturally. The joy of giving, the joy of, of you being in power of making this world a better place. Again, you're moving from victim to survivor to thriver in a very, very lovely way. And that's where the joy sneaks in. And that's where, where suddenly it's there and you have created it. Very nice. Well, I love that you've given us so many examples of ways that we can raise our awareness and really start to participate in that uh, spiritual journey in in a new way. So thank you so much. And I want to make sure that we hear from you. Where can people get your book and stay in contact with you? My books, actually, it's my steps to sobriety.com. I mean, that is that is my web page, where you find all the links to my show to my books. I've written depression light to me, which is uh, in which I brought uh, 14 female storytellers together who describe their journey through depression and how depression lied to them. And it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a very powerful book uh, because it just shows these are women from all walks of life, uh, all races. And it's just beautiful to, to see, to hear, to feel their stories. Um, and I've written a children's book, uh, Me, the Mindful Mouse. Um, thinking that actually we should start much earlier in bringing mindfulness to our children rather than actually dealing with broken adults. Um, so all that information is on my website, mystepstosobriety.com. I also want to remind everybody that you can find everything that's going on for me at donalyn.blog and uh, that I do have some programs coming up focused around joy, freedom, and power. So keep your eyes peeled and stay connected. Thank you.